You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Hi, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, the Miss Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, how you doing? I am great. Great. Glad to have you back on the show again. And of course, we're joined by our producer, David Roark. David, how you doing, buddy? Feeling pretty cynical. Pretty cynical. <laughs> I don't believe you. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about our latest ism. We're talking about cynicism, which if there's anything that's super prevalent in our culture, it's cynicism. So let's get right to it. All right, Elizabeth, why don't you kick us off? What, how would we define cynicism? When we think about cynicism, um, for me, it's just this general attitude of distrust or suspicion that is grounded in people believing that folks are invested in their own self-interest. And so I believe that, I think it's a belief that, um, for instance, when we think about politics and politicians make these really big promises, it's like, hey, that promise is not going to come true. And they're only doing that, saying that because they want to get elected. And so it's the worst case scenario and anyone, anything anyone is doing is grounded in their advancement and not sincere. That's, that's a great, succinct definition. David, anything that comes to mind when you think about that definition, that word cynicism? No, I mean, I think that it's what Elizabeth said. It's assuming the worst in people, assuming the worst in institutions, mm-hmm. in <laughs> all aspects <laughs> of culture and everything. And, and mm-hmm. I think assuming the worst is a good way to to put it. Yeah, Elizabeth, you brought up politics. And I think that's probably one of the easiest examples to go to is uh, I think of empty promises, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're saying something, yeah. but I don't really know if you mean that. And it's easy to think about politicians that way. Although I do want to remember politicians are human beings and yeah. I don't want to just create like them as like monsters, whatever, whatever uh, group they come from. There, There is a, a strong belief though that a politician's job is to get a job. And therefore, they will tell you what you want to hear because they can only get a job if you'll vote for them. And therefore, it's easy to be cynical about what politicians believe. But David, where else do you see cynicism in culture? Beyond politics, where else would you see examples of cynicism? Well, I think that this is probably still more on the definition, but I I do think that there's like an aspect of our culture where it's cool to be cynical, like... uh, (laughs) Like cynical for the sake of being cynical, mm-hmm. not because you're actually a cynical person. <laughs> and I know that that's like accusing people, I guess, of being superficial. But I, I definitely think there's an aspect of this. There's a, uh, you know, we all sort of want to separate ourselves from society, feel different, feel smarter. And I, I think that some of our cynicism is because of that. Like we we are cynical because it makes us feel a certain way um, and distinguishes us from the norms, you know, of how, how other people are thinking about things. Does that make sense? Uh, kind of. Are you saying that like cynicism makes, uh, you're talking about when we see things in other people that we doubt, it makes us feel a certain way about ourselves? Well, I, I think that some people may not even doubt those things, but they pretend to be cynical because that's sort of like what's cool and, gotcha. diff- and different. Um, like it, it's, it's cool to question everything. Like we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. yeah. Or, or I'm just going to question every single thing that I know and, and pretend that I'm assuming the worst because it makes me feel or sound intelligent. I, I don't know. 
again, most people don't actually probably explicitly like <laughs> make that conscious choice, but yeah. I, I see that. Um, yeah, and I, I sense it coming up in me sometimes yeah, too. Absolutely. I want to talk about internally too. I, I associate cynicism with pessimism, like expecting something worse. And then I associate maybe the opposite. I don't know what you'd call the opposite of cynicism, except for maybe optimism that you're expecting something good. Like it's going to be better even than what this person is presenting. And pessimism and optimism are not necessarily based in deception. These can be realities and they can be based in realities and in, in history. But I do think there's an there's a, a version of cynicism that exists in our culture because we have been betrayed over and over again, because we have learned that this is not going to be the case. In fact, I've heard this from a lot of minority groups. You can talk socioeconomic, racial, religion. When they are told something by the system is going to be better, they'll say, like, we'll see. We'll see. I just, it's not happened before, but we'll we'll see. We'll see if that works out. And whether that's a healthy skepticism is another word for it, a healthy cynicism or not, I don't know. But it's certainly a learned cynicism. Like mm-hmm. we have a culture that if we've been let down enough times, it's hard to believe that something better is coming. And the same is true from an authority structure. I can remember being a teacher and having students that would do terrible jobs over and over again, both in behavior and academically, and yet they would promise me, but next time, next time I'm going to get it. And my cynicism, my pessimism be like, well, we'll see. We'll see, you're going to have to prove it to me because I don't see it. Or you think about in romantic relationships, how many times we see distrust eroding romantic relationships. Why? Because it's been proven over and over again to be the case that you're going to let them down. Or in, I think, of addict culture, where there's a cynicism about sobriety for somebody who has relapsed many times, there can be a cynicism in in their family of, I'd love to see sobriety for you, but I'm cynical about it. Now, I want to talk about a different version of it, though, that has to do kind of with doubt. And when you see in the Christian church and in the Christian religion, maybe the faith system in general, we see a version of cynicism that is related to the gospel. Elizabeth, you know what I'm talking about here? That like when we present a gospel, there's a cultural cynicism that says, I just, maybe we would call it more like doubt. Where do you see doubt in our culture when it comes to the Christian story? I mean, I think it's this idea that it's not enough that what you're promising is not actually going to take away the things that are the painful things that are happening in my life. Um, That you're painting this really pretty fantasy story, but life is hard. And this gospel that you're talking about, like I said, isn't enough. And so I think that's where I've seen a cynicism, especially as I've engaged the gospel in harder environments with demographics that are dealing with some really hard issues. It just is sometimes it feels like what you're telling them is very simplistic and they are saying my problems are complex and yeah, this just seems like it's going to let me down. Like other things have let me down. Um, when the gospel is in fact the solution to their problems, but it just doesn't sometimes come across that way to people, depending upon where they're at and what they've believed in. Cause again, cynicism is also protective. I don't want to believe because the cost of believing hurts too much. Yes. And so it's easier for me just to say, this isn't going to work out from the jump. Yep. And there's an easy, like a, with the gospel, it can seem too good to be true, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're talking about the global sense of salvation. If someone has felt like, man, I'm bringing to the table something disgusting and dirty in my life, or I'm bringing to the table something where I've suffered a ton. And we say, well, the gospel redeems all those things. Well, that seems too good to be true. Right. So then you have cynicism. I also see that as a man who started a new church in the last couple of years, we'll talk about what our hopes are for racial reconciliation, for ministering to the poor, for women in Mm -hmm. leadership potential, leadership positions. And there's a lot of things that I could present the idea of, 
But then there's a Christian cynicism that says, well, we'll see. We'll see. I've seen a lot of churches say these things, but do you mean it? Or we work alongside a lot of public schools. And so you could say, we really care about the kids and the faculty here. Well, do you? Because wouldn't that look like this, that, or the other? And so we face tons of critical cynicism uh, in the culture. David, do you see Christian cynicism or you see cynicism around the Christian faith a lot? Yeah, I, I see it the most. And I, w- I said this kind of in my definition up front about assuming the worst. Um, I see that most prevalent prevalently in the church as well. And when it comes to community, like even our own brothers and sisters, even working in a church and thinking about my coworkers, our default still, even as Christians, oftentimes is that we assume the worst about others. And I think that that's a deep level cynicism. And it's a lot of it has to do with self-protection because we've been burned um, by that particular person or we've been burned by somebody else, but it creates a way of seeing people that we think that their intention, their motivation is selfish, it's self-serving. And when something happens, our, our default is not to be like, okay, I love this person. They're my brother or sister. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just going to assume that like, it's not what I think it is, yeah. but that's not where our hearts go. Our hearts tend to go like, oh no, they're trying to, they're trying to climb the ladder. Yep. They're trying to get in front of me. They're trying to do something just to tear me down when, man, I've just seen so much of this, even in like, you know, the Christian workplace. And this would be true for any church. And it's something that you have to constantly fight against. But like most of the time, <laughs> if you assume the best, it turns out that that's a, the right choice, that yeah. this person didn't have ill intent. It also like, as Christians, we have to be vulnerable with one another and that takes risk. And that when you're assuming the best in someone, you can get burned. And <laughs> by putting yourself out there, like you you could be really, really hurt but that's that's a part of the risk of being in community and living a life that's transparent and that's honest. And those moments really suck. And I've seen those happen when someone gets burned because someone did have ill intent, but that doesn't make the thing in and of itself bad. And it doesn't shouldn't change the way that you see people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, that's good. I do think what you're describing, it's really hard to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially if you've been burned before. But we live in a world where we know the our own internal monologue. We don't know others. And so we know how much we are driven by what we want. And so it's easy to assume so is everyone else. And therefore, everyone has an agenda. And the only reason maybe somebody would be willing to help me is if it helps them. Whereas the Christian story is one where we should help each other regardless of whether it helps you. We should think of others' needs before we even think of our own needs. That the demonstration we've had at our God, of our God is that he's willing, not only willing, but eager to serve, that he's a God who serves. So we've talked a little bit about how that applies to church, a little bit of Christians, but I, the reason we're doing this as an episode is I see cynicism everywhere in our culture. It's pervasive. It is not something that's just uh, relegated to sometimes or some people or some places. We see it everywhere. David, what are some bigger examples of where maybe people have seen this on a a large scale? Yeah, I I see it a lot in the pseudoscience movement. Uh, Even people who fall in that camp would be very offended by me calling it pseudoscience. (laughs) Yeah, they would. When you think about um, the organic movement, when you think about, I'm going to just say it and the va- the anti-vax movement, mm-hmm. so much of these kinds of movements that are uh, anti-science in some ways are they come from a cynicism about science and the pharmaceutical industry. 
And again, it's assuming the worst that they want. It, it's all rooted in a belief that these institutions, these organizations are after money. Yep. And so they're not in your best they, interest. They're not in your best interest. They're not for the common good. And that these scientists, you know, they have a bias and they're going to, whatever that is, they're going to, you know, make that clear and that we can't trust these people yeah. because of that. And then that leads to so many of these different like approaches to health and, and uh, the way we take care of ourselves, the food that we eat and things like that. But I would say that a lot of it is rooted in cynicism. And yeah, I, I could comment on that, but I, you definitely see it there. Yeah, that's some hot button issues you just brought up there, Sorry, David. Sorry. No, that's great. I think I see, like my wife is a nurse in labor and delivery, and she sees examples of this all the time where people assume that as a nurse, she must be maybe more of a... Uh, advocate for a corporation that's trying to make money off a patient, as opposed to what her job is, is caring for somebody who's come in for medical attention and trying to deliver a baby. And so we have a, an, a segment of our culture that comes in with a birth plan that is trying to uh, negate kind of the, the cynical idea of what they think of doctors and hospitals as money-making machines. And at the same time, there's a reality to all these things that there is a pharmaceutical industry. There is a hospital that is for profit. And so there, there is maybe a healthy skepticism or a healthy cynicism. Yeah. When it comes to a lot of things, it says, are these people really out for my good? And that's why it's so hard to navigate. And that's why if you're kind of um, uh, more paranoid than maybe your neighbor is when it comes to some of these things, it can be hard to know who to trust. Now, what's interesting to me when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to what the Bible calls us to, there's not going to be a place in your Bible where it tells you who to trust outside of God himself. And that's why cynicism is so fascinating to me for the Christian, because when we be when we start to fully trust in things, even if it's good science, even if it's even if it's facts, if we start to put our trust in them, in other words, if we start to find a satisfaction in the fact that no, this is always true, it has to be true, and we trust. A, or maybe a better example would be this: in relationship, if you put your full trust in someone to never let you down, the Bible would say you're trusting someone who is flawed and will eventually let you down, unless you're trusting Jesus Christ, unless you're trusting God, and therefore there's a version of cynicism that we should have, right? Isn't there a version? of cynicism that says we should have some doubts whether or not he, every other human has our best interest in mind? Yeah, I mean, I think you will get hurt. Things yeah. are not going to work out. Um, the Bible tells us that humanity has fallen and sin and depravity just are eating away at everything. And so I think this expectation that bad things will happen, I think what's hard is is the how do you live in that? Like, how yeah. do you have hope with the knowledge that this person in this relationship might hurt me this organization might not work in my benefit. What this promise this per particular politician made might not come true. And how do I still hold on to the reality that God says he is able to work in and amongst those things for my good and has a plan of redemption to bring all those things back to him? And so it's that middle space where you have to hold on to both ends. The reality that in people exist... Um, I think we like binary. So this person is, we all know that none of us are good. Mm -hmm. But this idea that um, if someone does something that's bad, they're bad forever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, that person is still capable of doing good things that are glorifying to the Lord or bringing joy to life. Like we we want one or the other. And yep. in the gospel, we're kind of called to live in this middle space with both, recognizing that it's God who's over all things, who will protect, who will provide, who will carry us through the good and the bad. That's it. I think what you're hitting on is exactly it. 
uh, how do you live in a world like this where if you're going to be let down? Like, do we really live in a world where you go, well, I'm not going to get married because I might get cheated on? Or uh, this is really common, is somebody who's been through a miscarriage, which is heartbreaking. When they get pregnant again, they worry that it might lead to another miscarriage. So they don't tell people and they don't celebrate because they think, what if, what if we miscarry again? As if, and here's the lie it's easy for us to believe. It'll be easier for us if we don't celebrate now. Mm-hmm. It'll be easier for us if we rob ourselves of joy now, because then uh, we kind of expected the worst, mm-hmm. then we predicted the worst, then when the worst comes true, then we're better off, as opposed to the truth of let's celebrate while we can celebrate, and let's mourn when we need to mourn. And that's not to say, like, you need to tell everybody as soon as you're pregnant or that, to make light of miscarriage. I'm saying this is the mentality we have, is because things might go bad, then we should not X, Y, or Z. Uh, I don't want to walk in Christian pessimism that mm-hmm. says, because people aren't perfect, therefore I cannot be in any community with people. Right. Or because uh, maybe you've been, maybe you've shared something vulnerable and somebody's gossiped about it. Does that mean you should no longer confess sin? No, I think you have to live in that tension that goes, don't expect people to fulfill every hope and to be perfect. But at the same time, we have to operate in a world where we do extend and receive mm-hmm trust, where we do extend and receive some version of investment in each other, knowing that while cynicism will call us into question on what somebody else's motivations, we cannot let that paralyze us from being a human who interacts with the culture that's around us. Uh, one thing that comes to mind for this too, for me, is, is partiality, is uh, bribery. Uh, it is very easy, like when you're talking about cynicism, it's intricately connected to, is this person trying to get something from me? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a politician or a relationship or a boss or a coworker or a spouse, whatever it is, is this person trying to get something from me? And that's why they're doing this, which is the concept of bribery. And bribery, obviously, maybe is not the word we would use super common in relationships, but that's exactly what we're talking about, is, is this person telling me what they want me to, what, I, what they think I want to hear? or giving me what they think I want in order for me to give them what they want. They actually are selfishly seeking these things. And the Bible speaks directly against God being a God of bribery or God being a God of partiality. In fact, um, literally it says God is not a lifter of heads, meaning he doesn't need to look at who he does before he decides what he's going to do. He doesn't need to see your face and go, well, if it's David, it's this. If it's Elizabeth, it's that. That's not the way our God operates. But since people operate like that, since people operate, depending on who it is, will determine how I'll respond, then we operate. We have to operate out of this constant cynicism of what is the agenda that you're driving at? What are you trying to get from me? David, have you ever struggled with kind of that, that bribery sense of like people around you are trying to get something, therefore that's what they're doing? Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't know that I, that, that I have all my struggles. Trust me. I have lots of them, but I, I don't <laughs> tend to deal with that as much. Like I, maybe I, I see the best and, um, maybe night in some naivety sometimes, yeah. um, want to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I, you, I certainly see that, you know, in the church and with people around me a lot and because people do take advantage of one another and that does happen. And it, it I've heard, I don't know if it was in a counseling session or something, but I remember this idea of you trust, you don't trust anyone but the Lord, but you trust people in the Lord. Yes. I don't know if you've heard that before, but so it's like, I trust you, Adam, in the Lord. And that's the healthy tension, I think. It's the ability to be vulnerable with someone, expect the 
see the best and then and assume that that they're assuming the best while ultimately knowing that your your trust is in God and, and yeah. your fear is in God and God alone. Therefore, if something happens and you break that trust, I'm not wrecked because I'm trusting you in the Lord. It's a it's a little bit of a caveat, but it, it makes yeah. all the difference, I think, in the way that we see one another. Yeah, I always say it like this, like our trust is only in God, but we are all called to be trustworthy and to call each other to be trustworthy. So if we operate out of that assumption that my job for Elizabeth is to help her be a trustworthy woman of God, and my job for David is to help him be a trustworthy man of God, and at the same time, I cannot put my trust for my own uh, mental well-being or emotional well-being in how you respond to me or what you send my way, because my trust is in Christ, it does not remove from me the obligation to be who Christ has called me to be. In other words, we don't resign ourselves to sin going, well, since I'm not going to be perfect, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to do anything, or since I don't like this, and even though I should do it, I'm not going to do it because I don't like this. But cynicism calls into doubt, uh, and uh, let's talk about doubt here for a second, because doubt is something that Christians face a lot. Is God actually good? And when it comes to cynicism, that's something we hear a lot about in our faith, especially with those who are suffering, those who have faced something difficult and going, if God is in charge, then why didn't he do something? And if God is good, then why didn't he do something? Do you guys see this cynicism when it comes to even believing Christians? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you go through something really hard and horrific. You'll ask those questions really quickly. Um, or you think even of just situations where just random acts of whether it's violence or just anything, why does a good God allow things to, bad things happen to good people? Um, and it's a question that we've been asking for, I think, since all of us have been around um, in humanity. And so it's a question that doesn't have easy answers, um, causing us to trust in the character of our God and the things that he's done before and his plan for humanity. But this idea of what does it mean to trust? Because I think cynicism also puts the weight of control on us. Like I can control the situation. I can control my emotions. I can protect myself. And with the gospel, we're called to place all of that in the Lord, that he's the one that's in control and that he will. I don't have answers for the how, I just know that he will. And that doubt is a process, and I think every Christian walks through doubt. I think sometimes we can be in church and doubt is um, seem to be a bad place. Like if you doubt that your faith isn't, that you don't have faith in the Lord, and just as a process of we deal with hard things that don't have easy answers in Christianity, and doubt's just a part of that. Um, that's why I love the Psalms because the psalmists sit in doubt, and eventually they make it to the right place. But I want to believe that there was some space <laughs> between where are you, God, and you're glorious. Yeah. Um, and God gives us a space, because he's big enough for our doubt. Yeah. Um, but it's this idea that he's in control, period. Yeah. And he'll be the one to protect, again, the one to provide. We don't have to protect and control the situation ourselves, because we can't. I'm glad Good. you're. I'm glad you're getting to sort of that vertical relationship mm-hmm. because we've been talking about like we're cynical horizontally toward one another, but if we're being honest, that horizontal yeah. cynicism yeah. is ultimately rooted in a cynicism toward the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if we don't expect, or if if we don't assume the best in other people, we're, that's probably because we don't assume the right. best in God, and we don't think that we think that He's mad at us, mm-hmm. that we think He's trying to punish us for some reason. And we wouldn't want to say that or admit that, but I, I guarantee that that is playing into the way that we are viewing other people is yep. our functional view of God on a day-to-day basis. Another way that I see it, which is kind of a, a, a whole other aspect of cynicism, but I see a lot of Christians cynical about just like the state of the world and where it's going. This is kind of big picture. It's like, 
well, the West is is falling and life is getting worse and worse. And like that is a lot of people's kind of default mentality about life and about the trajectory of um, our country, the world, which is very contrary <laughs> to yeah. a Christian view of history, you know, like we know where history is moving and that doesn't mean like through the United States or some political thing like that, but like we should not be cynical about the state of things on a really big picture basis because we know how the story ends and we know what God is going to ultimately do. I feel like that should create more optimism more hopefulness in us and we shouldn't be cynical people. Um, when we look out in our world, we should be broken and we're going to grieve where we still see sin. But I feel like there's a hope that, um, is often missing in people uh, just kind of day to day when it comes to news events and things like that. Yeah. You guys see that? No, I think hope mm-hmm. is the, is the right word. I think there is a cynical nature to thinking, and maybe it's more pessimism that things around me are bad and getting worse. And, but my hope is in Christ. My trust is in Christ. And therefore I know not only not only is things, are things eventually going to get made new, and they're going to be great, and the Lord is going to redeem all things, but even now I am not without hope, nor is God removed from whatever circumstances I'm facing or whatever circumstances we see in the world. He is not uh, relegated to a location. God is not uh, so impotent that He cannot uh, intervene in human, human events. And so I have hope because I trust that God is who He says He is. So when it talks about cynicism, when you talk about cynicism towards God in the midst of what is a dark and, and darkening world, I have to trust. God has called me to trust and told me He is trustworthy. And he's a promise maker and a promise keeper, like we say. I have to trust that in the midst of this, He's still good. He's got a plan in this. In the same way we see in Habakkuk chapter one, the first couple of verses, Habakkuk looks around and says, Man, what there's violence everywhere. God, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you intervening? And God says back to him in verse five, if if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. You wouldn't even believe what I'm doing because it's it's going to get, in your opinion, worse. But in the in the understanding the sovereign uh, story of the universe, it's what God is doing to achieve His ends, His means through His means in what is happening. But yeah, I absolutely see what you're talking about. Almost the dystopian view of what's happening, and do we guard and protect Christians from believing the sky is falling? Well, if the sky is falling, well, good news for us because we believe in a God who holds up the sky. So he is not, he's not like up there trying to figure stuff out and go, oh man, well, how are we going to, how are we going to get this? And I need David and Elizabeth to do that. And if they don't do that, then I'm really up a creek. Like we believe in a sovereign God yeah. who's able to do what he wants. I do think there's a, I want to talk about this for just a second as we, before we close out, there's a healthy skepticism as well, or a healthy cynicism that comes to the lies of the world. Uh, that we have to look at the lies of Satan or the lies that we tell ourselves. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a, a close friend like I've had who's called out the fact that you're believing things you're saying to yourself where you should be more cynical about them. Like you take the things you say about yourself, about the way you look, the way you act, what you should have done, who you could have been, all these things about yourself, the lies that you harass yourself with, And I wish I was more cynical Mm. about those things, saying maybe, just maybe, because my heart is deceitful above all things, and because God has not said those things are true about me, maybe I should be more cynical about my own opinions of myself and believe instead that there is a holy God who loves me as I am, calls me to righteousness, and when he calls his burden for me light, he has called me to something I am capable of walking under with him alongside me. 
and that it's not this pessimistic view of you are a disgusting, dirty sinner, good thing God loves you anyway, but rather you are a righteous, redeemed saint. Remember that. And while we make mistakes, what an opportunity for grace. And the the temptation at the very beginning, Elizabeth, you brought up this like, since the beginning of humanity. I think about the Garden of Eden and, and Satan trying to really um, convince Adam and Eve in a cynical manner that God did not have their best interests in mind. That was the first temptation. And if in that moment we could advise Adam and Eve to be more cynical about the lies of Satan, to say, maybe this that you're believing about God is actually where you should place your cynicism, that maybe when it comes to personal autonomy or personal freedom from God, that's where we can advise our people to be more cynical and say, hey, maybe... Maybe just maybe. You're seeking something for your own best interest that's not in your best interest. God has your best interest in mind. So as, as a final thought for Christians, I do think there's a healthy cynicism about the lies of the world. I think the word we would use in the Scripture as a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit is discernment. Can you discern what is right, good, and true about yourself and the world around you? And when it comes to who should I trust, we would always call you to the Word of God, to find out what God has said about you and the world around you to determine whether something is true or not. We do not believe you can trust your own feelings, desires, and emotions to be the arbiter of truth. We also believe that freedom for yourself, personal freedom, does not come from you getting to do whatever you want, but rather understanding that there's a better king than you for your life, and that is King Jesus, who has come to redeem all things unto himself, who is the king of the world, whether they acknowledge it or not. And our task as Christians is to share his kingdom, to share his kingship with any of those who don't know him, that they might also see through the lies of self-service that our world offers them or that you offer yourself. And understanding the only one who has your best interests in mind is God himself. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram. Thanks 